0: Happy Thanksgiving, Unbeatable family. I hope that you've been able to eat a bunch of food and spend time with family if you live in the United States. And if you don't live in the US and your country doesn't celebrate this holiday, I hope that you've just taken a moment to remember all of the good things that you have in your life and to give thanks where thanks is important. Today on this special episode of Unbeatable, I get a chance to interview a guy who has a very important role in our community, who has a great deal of respect, who has a growing family. I mean, he actually has the life, if you were to look at it from the outside, that most people wish they had. In other words, a guy who has a lot to be thankful for. But you're gonna hear from Andrew that. He got to a low point in his life where he was on the streets and ready to kill himself and literally tried to kill himself a couple of times before things radically changed. So on this episode of Unbeatable, this Thanksgiving Day, I want to introduce you to Andrew Chalmers and how things turned around for him. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Andrew, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to be with me on this very special Thanksgiving episode of Unbeatable.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here with you, Jeff.
0: Yeah, even though we're in the same community, instead of sitting down and doing this together, because that would be weird on Thanksgiving Day, my family and your family pausing for us to do an interview. um, Thanks for dialing in and doing this thing for me
1: online today yeah of course of course it's good good to be able to be with you and i love this season
0: yeah so do i man not just the pumpkin spice everything like literally you can get pretty much everything on the planet pumpkin spice but i just <laughs> love the fact that people are challenged to be thankful during this during this season
1: yes i actually i you know i run a coffee shop and i never drink anything but black coffee good for you man around But around Thanksgiving, I start getting a little bit of pumpkin spice in my in my coffee. So it's like, you know, it's a sign of the season.
0: (laughs) Okay, I can't do this pumpkin spice thing because I'm afraid that if I do, I'll get hooked. And then I'm eating pancakes that are pumpkin spice and ice cream. That's pumpkin spice and hamburgers that are pumpkin spice. So I just stay away from it. Totally. I'm a teetotaler. Yeah. And by the way, I've been to your coffee shop a bunch of times. You guys make some pretty amazing coffee. I'll probably be there again pretty soon. We're going to talk about right. the coffee, about Harvest Coffee Company and about the, the whole, um, you know, what you guys are doing now in our community. But let's talk about your family. Um, tell us about Ellen. How did you guys meet? What what was life like when you two got connected before, um, and how long you've been married?
1: Yeah, so uh, Ellen and I married, uh, got married almost seven years ago. But we met maybe like eight or ten years ago. Actually, when I met Ellen, uh, I was dating someone else, and she had a pretty big crush on me. And but I was dating uh, a girl that she was friends with, uh, and so she kind of considered, okay, uh, this is not, this is not awkward. a thing. Yeah, this is this is not possible. So Ellen actually moved away for a season. And then my, my parents run an NGO that works in Haiti. Yeah. And they, they asked me to go on a trip with them down to Haiti a number of years ago. And Ellen, this was after I was done dating this other girl, Ellen messaged me and she, she was actually living overseas at the time. She's like, Hey, I, I, I saw that you're going to Haiti. I'd love to go with this group that's going down there. And I was like, okay. And so Anyways, we went on that trip together. And since that time, you know, things have never been the same. And we got married, probably, I think it was a year later, we were, uh, we were married. um, And now we have five kids. So,
0: okay, so I just want to make sure the listeners heard you. She didn't steal you away from your other girlfriend. She was totally cool. (laughs) And she, she kept her, you know, she, she was honorable about this thing and waited till you were a single bachelor,
1: right? That's right. She waited. She waited. So yeah. she didn't steal me. It was. It was all. It was fair game. You know. All right. When she came yeah. when she came on the trip. So.
0: A, and the best place to meet your future spouse for all of you singles out there that are looking for somebody to marry, the best place for you to meet them is overseas, serving people that are in need. I mean, what better? What? What else could you look for in a husband or a wife than somebody who's in Haiti or or in in poorer parts of the world helping people that are in need.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was a good sign. It's a good sign she was a keeper.
0: I hear you. And you guys uh, went to work building a family right away. So um, tell us about your children. Tell us about the four that you have now and number five that's on the way.
1: Yeah. So I actually have an older son that is not with Ellen, that he is 15 now. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I got uh, when Ellen and I got married, he was like seven or eight. Um, and that was a just a huge blessing, I know, I know for him and uh, and for me especially. Um, and then we have uh, Josiah, he, he's now almost six. Glory, who's our daughter, she's turning four, That's and then we have a beautiful name, by the way. Glory, I love yeah. it. <laughs> and then we have another uh, little girl named Summit. And then we're expecting a little girl uh, anytime. So in the next month or so, we we should be we should have another little girl on the way. So we 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 are very busy. Just, yeah. just if we just stop right there, yes, we, we have plenty going on with that.
0: So the guys in your family are outnumbered, uh, are about to be outnumbered pretty soon, is what you're saying.
1: Yes, exactly. We've thought about that. We we've ta- <laughs> we've had some conversations, and yeah.
0: yeah. Tell, tell your sons, you got it. We got to stick together, man, because we're, we're about to be outnumbered and overran if we don't stick together. Um, yeah. Hey, my wife and I are high school sweethearts. We have five children together. And I remember the days of lots of little fam- little feet running around the house, which <laughs> makes Thanksgiving and the Christmas season just awesome to see all of those little people running around the house.
1: Yeah, we're going to cherish it. And yeah. These ages, it's it, it is it's really really special yeah. so yeah we're we're enjoying it we're really busy and we're really enjoying it so. sure
0: when is ellen do when does uh the fifth child come along
1: she's coming at the end of december so oh, the end so of December, early away. january yeah so. yeah all right yep.
0: maybe a christmas baby maybe a new year's eve baby by the way we just as a uh the global population just went over 8 billion. So you guys are doing your part to contribute to uh, I did my part, you guys are doing your part to contribute. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Hey, can you describe a little bit about what life was like for you guys growing up for you personally? Um, Honestly, to, to kick this off, like tell me one of your favorite Thanksgiving memories. When you were growing up and and because today is thanksgiving in the united states um i think i'll share with you one of my favorite thanksgiving memories but what what was one of your favorite memories and why was that so special for you
1: yeah i so you know in thanksgiving when i was growing up we you know we would always typically go to my mom's side of the family and my my granny she's no longer alive um actually both both of her parents have now uh, passed on. But uh, mm-hmm. I just remember going and, and being with them and, and having uh, just really special times like with with our whole family. And, uh, you know, one thing we would do is eat a ton of food and then we would of go course. play football. Um, yeah, you so get the we,
0: backyard football game, really.
1: Yeah, so we would do that. And then, um, yeah, I just remember being just with cousins and family and and uh, always always loving my grannies uh, you know, her, uh, pecan pie. That's that, I think nice. that's like the golden memory is just the pies that she oh, would make. yeah, you know, so. heck
0: yeah. <laughs> Well, one of my favorite memories, um, when my family and I were still in the army and the children were really young, we had Thanksgiving in the unit. And the typically when I was a unit chaplain on Thanksgiving day, the cooks for the, the, Battalion would cook the meal, but the officers in the battalion would serve everybody else. Kind of the leaders serving. So I'd show up in uniform, um, all in my dress uniform, get behind the you know the the um, big plates of big pots of food, and we would serve the entire unit. But. Not only that, just getting on and off the installation, I realized there were a lot of people that were working on Thanksgiving Day. They didn't want to be working. They would rather be at home with their families. So my wife would sometimes bake cookies. We would put them in like a little Ziploc bag and on the way to work and on the way from work, if we saw people that were working that didn't want to be there, we just hand them a bag of homemade cookies and say, hey, we're thinking about you today. Thanks for protecting the community or thanks for doing law enforcement or being a first responder and being away from your family on this special day and i remember those days man that was that was some fun as a family
1: wow yeah that that's so special where were you guys during that time at that time we were
0: in yeah those memories specifically come from north carolina i was stationed at fort bragg north carolina like the new york city of army bases with people by the hundreds by the tens of thousands still working on thanksgiving day and we would just try to serve uh the warriors and their families that day just to to remind them i know you'd rather be at home and you can't be but we're thinking about you
1: yeah that's awesome i was actually born in Fayetteville so that's yeah, where I merge, how about that merge, originally originally from there yeah all right grew up grew up in Fayetteville till i was like six or seven oh, and really? i moved I, yeah moved to Georgia after that but yeah
0: what time frame was that what time frame did you live there
1: so I was born in 88 and lived there till 95, 96. Man, so we might've been there at the same time.
0: I was going to tell you, I passed through there probably 50 times during those years that you just described. No exaggeration. <laughs> um, it was kind of like a second home to me. I was living here in Columbus during those years, but I did most of my training in Fayetteville or in Fort Bragg. So no, qu- no question, we were in the same place at the same time. Yeah,
1: yeah. I grew up off Bragg Boulevard, so if there oh, I know time, exactly yeah. where yeah. that is. Yeah,
0: yeah. Now that yeah. we're talking about growing up, let's talk about what life was like in your house. Was your was your family military? Is that why you lived in Fayetteville?
1: Uh, no, so and that's what typically most people ask. You know, so you grew up in a military family. I was like, no. Uh, my dad worked for the city. He was a uh-huh. uh, civil engineer, so he did a lot of the traffic and road planning for the city.
0: Oh, um, um, he's the reason why traffic was so bad on All American yeah. <laughs> Boulevard. So, Andrew, tell me a little bit about growing up, especially with a dad that's a civil engineer, and what was life like in your house back in Fayetteville, and even when you moved to Columbus.
1: Yeah, so I, you know, grew up in Fayetteville with both my parents. I, I had a, uh, you know, a great home uh, where my mom and dad were together. I had two older sisters. Um, and I lived in North Carolina in, uh, near Fort Bragg in the Fayetteville area up until like, uh, seven or eight years old. And then we actually moved to the Atlanta area where my dad got a job there. And, um, we, uh, okay. Yeah. So that, so that's where I, you know, really like grew up and spent, um, my childhood, you know, just being raised there. Uh, one of the things that was, That brought a lot of trouble, honestly, into my childhood, like some adversity that started coming is um, uh, one of my older siblings, um, really, they were a lot older, they really started struggling in a lot of ways. um, And they brought that, you know, home. And so I remember just as a kid, really having great parents, but then also seeing a lot of like struggles and addictions and different things like that. And that that really influenced impacted me a lot as a kid.
0: When you say that they brought that struggles home, I don't want you to, you know, get into the family secrets or anything, but what did that look like for you?
1: Well, starting at like eight years old, um, you know, uh, my siblings, really, both of them, they, they they're just struggling, you know, and a lot of a lot of different things were going on. And, um, you know, that would kind of, you know, go back and forth. And, and I, I just remember, like the tension and the drama in the house. And, it really did like shape me. I remember as a kid and, but eventually some of the influences that were influencing them also started to influence me when I was like 12 or 13. And that's when things started to take a real big turn in my life.
0: Yeah. So let's just get into this part of your story. Is 12 or 13 about the time that you were introduced to drugs? How did that happen for you?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I was, uh, when I was, when I was growing up, you know, I, I had a very like traditional middle-class family. Um, and I, I I do remember as a kid Mm -hmm. that, uh, one of my siblings was just really struggling at the time and, uh, was actively like doing drugs in our house and different things like that. And I started to be exposed to it at a, at a very young age. Um, and then I, I do remember at a point where it went from just being around it to, I started participating in it. Um, and I remember that like in that in that time, you know, I, I started to make, you know, different kinds of friends at school that also were kind of doing this stuff. And, you know, really, it's like yeah. that's when yeah. I yeah, a lot of influences came in that that were really pushing me in, in a really not positive direction, starting at like 12 to 14 is when it started with me.
0: Yeah, and for anybody out there who knows this stage of life, this is when a person, guy or gal, is very, very influential. So the road that you start down at this stage of life can impact you forever, 12, 13, 14 years old. Andrew, nobody sets out to get addicted to drugs, but there are millions of people all over the planet that are full-blown addicted and can't get out from underneath it. So, can you just describe what it was like from being introduced for the first time to drugs, all the way up to this becoming for you a full-blown addiction?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great uh, question, and I would I would agree with you. I don't think anybody like sets out with like an ambition of like I want to you know be reliant on something or be weakened right. by something or to become um, destructive in my life or to hurt people. It's like, you know, like generally, like I grew up in a really good, a really good home, a great family. And, um, I do remember early on when I first started using drugs, um, I was just smoking weed, drinking alcohol, smoking cigarettes, you know, just being involved around stuff like that. And, um, I remember like to myself thinking like, you know, this is, I'm just going to do this stuff and it's not going to be that big of a deal. Yeah, and I remember it's no big deal, like, right? Yeah. And I remember having like even influencers in my life that were a lot older that were like, hey, like, you know, as long as you just keep doing this, it's like it's not a big deal because you're not gonna screw up your life, you know, you know, drinking every now and then or smoking right. a little weed. Like not not a big deal. And so I remember just thinking, like, yeah, it's not a big deal and it's not it's not gonna progress. And then when I was 15, I I started to sort of broaden my friend group, made some new friends and I had always been around kids that were, that were doing like more addictive, harder drugs, mm-hmm. like around it. But I was always like, no, like, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to do these things and it's all good. Um, but I do remember one of my friends, he, his dad was prescribed like a really addictive narcotic, like opiate, um, for
0: Is that right?
1: Yeah. And yeah. so he, so my friend, he would take his dad's medication, like steal it from the medicine cabinet and just, he would take it occasionally and it made him feel like really good. And, um, and so I, you know, I know, I knew he was doing that. I, I remember one day he was just like, Hey, like, do you want to take one? And I was like, okay. And the, uh, the medication that he was stealing is called methadone. And the, the medication is actually to help heroin addicts. Like yeah. technically it's, it's to get heroin addicts off of heroin. It, it supposedly that's what it's for. Um, And so I go from like having never tried these types of drugs before. So I take that for the first time. And I remember like it's something switched in my head. And I immediately thought like as soon as I started to experience, you know, the euphoria, like I never want to stop feeling this way. And I knew like, honestly, that's like what started the trajectory. And so kind of the pursuit for me was like, I one I became really good friends with this kid because he was. Yeah, he had access to that drug. Yeah. And he would share it with me. And then, you know, next thing you know, I started making other friends that were into it as well. And so that started that journey. And basically from there, I started opening up and doing more like party drugs and like going to raves and different things, even in high school. And, um, And then basically like 16, 17, 18, I decided that, hey, like I want to start selling drugs because not only because I wanted to make money, but even there was this like image and this like, I got sucked into this whole world of like, I feel like this is cool. I feel like that this is like, this is, um, yeah, I just, I just got sucked yeah. into the whole idea and the whole world. And so, you know, 16, 17, 18, I got into that. And by the time I was 18, you know, I was selling, you know, cocaine. I was using drugs every single day. I was um, around all this other stuff. And then I remember when I was 18, uh, some of the friends that I was hanging with, they started using heroin, and that was like a line where I was like, "I'm not going to cross that line." But then, once my friends started to cross these lines, yeah. it's like it's like goes back to when I was 15. Like I said, for three years, I'll never cross these lines, and, I, and eventually, I did. And you did, right? Yep. Yeah. And then, you know, I started to um, see other people cross those lines. Anyways, that led to me just going full blown into that. And basically, once that started around 18 from the age of 18 to 21, uh, my life was just a wreck. Like it was a disaster. Um, there, you know, it, eventually what it led to is, is starting at like 19 and 20, I started to look to go to rehabs in different places, uh-huh. um, because of how quickly like things were getting really, really bad, um, you know, for me. And, and, uh, yeah, so that, that was my journey. And I, I totally agree with what you're saying at the beginning, like, you know, That was not my ambition, but man, by the time I was 15, I would, I would say I was a full blown drug addict at 15, sophomore in high school. Like it's, my life was consumed with the idea of it. And I think in reality, like I, I think I was dealing and processing with a lot of like trauma or other things in my life as it did just other things that had happened. And I think that it was like a way to feel confident and feel like I didn't Uh have to deal with whatever was going on. And um, man, but it just you know made things worse. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. We did an episode uh, several months ago with a guy who ran a pain clinic, and he was actually arrested and went to jail. And everything that he did in that pain clinic was legal, but yeah. when they started to prosecute, you know, the way that people were getting addicted, the lives that were being ruined because it was prescription pain pills. That people would buy or, you know, they would go get a prescription, they would take a few of the pills, sell the rest of it. And um, I mentioned during that episode, like prescription painkill pills were the epidemic that nobody wanted to talk about for a long time. Yeah, people would talk about cocaine or heroin or even marijuana, but nobody wanted to admit. Man, there are millions of people out there that are straight up addicted to prescription pain pills. And I just heard you say it was your first pill that made you say, "I I want to keep doing this because it's that incredible." Uh, yeah, this isn't exactly. in a public service announcement about the you know the pharmaceutical industries nor about you know drug addiction. But uh, I want to go back uh, for just a second and ask you to give a little bit more detail because you've already said you didn't start out this way. But if you were to ask the average person who's addicted, I don't know anybody who says, yep, I'm addicted. Most people would say, no, I think I still got things under control until your life is such a wreck that it's obviously not under control. But you say, looking back on it now, this went all the way till 21 years old, but looking back on it now, at 15, you were full-blown addicted. So what is it that made you realize, like, that's the point where drugs were out of control and I couldn't, couldn't escape them? You didn't know it at 15, but you know it now. What yeah. was it? Th-
1: yeah, the problem that I dealt with is, like, really, I think for, for many years, you know, starting at 15 is I didn't see drug as the problem, I saw the drugs as the solution. And so like, it it made me more confident, it made me more successful in like, it. I felt like they helped me at school, they helped me, like I just, if without them, I felt like, uh, anyways, I just couldn't really, Yeah. I was socially, anyways, I, I, I couldn't really operate like at my maximum, I felt like they were actually helping me be better. And then- Be a better
0: version they, of you, right?
1: Yeah. And then that all started to, you know, change. Um, And I think like for me, you know, looking back, I can now see that I was addicted. But it took me a long time, I think, before I was willing to really admit, okay, this is, you know, this is like a problem. I think that when I started to cross boundaries that I swore I would never cross and do things I said I would never do, specifically related related with like family and friends, people that I was very loyal to. But when the drugs started to take like this place above even people I was super committed to, super thankful for, had a lot of respect for, I think that was the checking point for me. And that's not for everyone. Some people, they go way past that and they still don't realize they have an addiction. But I think when I started to cross those lines, because I had such a good foundation with my family, like, you know, to respect authority, to not lie you know, to, to work hard. Like I had a lot of good ethics that were instilled right. as a kid. And so I think when I started to cross all of some of these like basic, most core things that I knew were like really wrong. Um, that's when I know like little flasher lights were kind of going off. Like Andrew, you're, you know, you're off, like you're yeah. not okay. Um, and then I'd say for a year or two, I continued to struggle in that and then eventually it got to where i started to have to make some decisions of like okay i'm gonna have to change or something bad's gonna happen well
0: i want to talk about addiction for just a few more minutes and andrew thank you for being so honest with me in this episode there are people that struggle with all kinds of addictions and they they may not even know it and maybe listening to you right now is causing them to say wait a second I thought I had this under control, but now that I'm listening to Andrew, I'm doing the exact same thing that he was doing. And maybe it's not alcohol, maybe it's not drugs, maybe for somebody who's listening right now, it's relationships and you're addicted to the way that other people make you feel. Maybe it's some form of entertainment and you can't stop playing that role playing game online because of the way it makes you feel. And maybe you're listening to Andrew right now and you're saying, I thought I had this under control but maybe I don't because I'm starting to cross boundaries that I never thought I would cross and I don't know that I want to keep being the person that I'm becoming right now like Andrew, looking back on your life now my guess is when you were 16 years old you didn't see this one coming but there was a point where you realized I don't I don't like the person that I've turned into and I can't keep going down this road much further So now the hard part, like getting into the addiction is really not that challenging. The real hard part is how do you get out of it? So what happened that made it so bad that you said, I got to make a change?
1: Yeah. For me, that started a journey. My journey has not been like, um, simple or quick or painless. Okay, um, hold on.
0: I need you to say that one more time, because there's that person that just heard, maybe I'm addicted. And they're thinking in the back of their mind, simple, easy, I'm going to beat this addiction. And they need yeah. to hear you say one more time what you just said, say it again, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true. Like when I think when I when things started to change and turn in the right direction, that wasn't like a magic wand or a little fairy or something, you know, some magical thing fixed me. But, you know, I think when I really started to realize where this was headed. And that I wanted to change that started a journey and that journey for me took a couple of years, uh, at least two years, I know for me. Um, and yeah, so that, that started a process now for me at first, I realized that I was losing some relationships that were very important to me. And so at first my reason for change wasn't really because I wanted to stop using drugs or in my addiction. It was just I wanted to get what I wanted, and so yeah. early on when I started to realize I needed to change, it was it was honestly I just um, I was just trying to manipulate the situation where I could keep what I wanted, and I realized now the drugs were bad, and I needed to like fix it, and so yeah, that's kind of where it started, and then what happened is is I I really kept falling back into it, and then slowly those relationships were severed you know, I started losing employment, I started losing housing, like, like, then it's like, okay, things started spiraling out of control for me. Um, And ultimately, at the end, you know, I just went like, totally self destructive mode, just kind of gave up trying because I had tried a number of times to quit. And then when I couldn't, I just decided, you know, forget it. And basically, it was like, you know, uh, excuse my language, but just like all hell broke loose in my life. And it was like, I I just didn't care. I I lost all like reason of trying to change and then that's yeah. hit the bottom and and down in that place is really where I realized like whoa this is a lot darker and harder than I thought it would end up in and now I, I really want to change but the scary thing about addiction is when you get deeper and deeper in a hole whether it's with you know addiction to like drugs or even with like gambling addiction yeah oh yeah or, you know different stuff like, that. like
0: follow the you same dig path. A hole yeah.
1: And then once you get really in that deep hole, then you start thinking there's no way out. And that, yeah. like, that's where I ended up, where it was like I was contemplating suicide. It was so dark. I was so deep in it that it was like, I'm never going to get out of this hole. I'm never going to get out of this pattern. And that was, a, that was honestly like a uh, – when I look back, that's a very scary place that I was. Oh, yeah, Just, yeah.
0: I just did an episode a couple of weeks ago with my friend Brad Thomas and he started playing the beginning of the song Under the Bridge by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, The listeners you may not be aware of this that the lead singer that song wrote it about a very specific moment in his life where he was addicted to heroin living under the bridge and the song says, I don't ever want to feel like I felt that day. Um, And he's basically saying how dark how miserable his life was. I thought drugs were going to make things better, make me a better version of me, but they didn't. And what they gave me ruined all the things that I love. And Andrew, I'm glad that you said, not only did it not uh, change for you easy, but you kept slipping back into it because there's somebody who says, Okay, well, I guess I just can't beat this, so I'm going to spend the rest of my life, you know, stuck in this endless cycle of whatever the addiction is—gambling gam- or alcohol, drugs—you name, you name it. Some people are addicted to praise. Some people are addicted to money. You name it. Addictions are all the same. Um, and then you get into this dark place, and it's so dark that you're deciding I don't even know if I want to live anymore. But it costs you it cost you friends, it cost you family, uh, cost you severely along the way. So can you talk about the toll that it took on the people that you love when you were really in that bad place?
1: Yeah. I I think the, you know, the number one person that I think of is when I, so when I was 18, 19, I got my, my girlfriend at the time from high, I was met her from high school Uh Got her pregnant and you know, the turning point for me when I started to realize that things needed to change, it was honestly around my girlfriend getting pregnant and me not wanting to be, you know, um, a, dad. a drug addict father. Oh, yeah. Of, yeah. Like, a kid. So I started to like try to change at that point and things didn't change. I, again, I was trying to get clean, not because I wanted to quit doing drugs, but just cause I, I just wanted to like be able to have these relationships. Yeah. And, um, really it was all about me. It wasn't even about them. I was still so bound in this addiction thing. It was like, manipulative, manipulative and whatever. So, you know, I, I, think for me when I started to like where it led for me is like, I wasn't even allowed to see my son, um, when that relationship was severed really? rightfully so wow. Yeah, when, when that relationship was severed and I wasn't even permitted to like see him or be anywhere near him. Um, I think that was a wake up call. I think the other one was my, my family. So my, my mom uh-huh. and dad are probably two of the most like enduring, gracious people like, yeah. I've ever been. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Like they have, they know how to like, like the word long suffering, someone who knows how to suffer, oh, like, so yeah. they really yeah. suffer. a long time. My parents have like endured a lot through their lives. And like with me, they endured a lot. And, and like, what's crazy is like, there came a point where, when I was about 21, I I had I had um, burnt every bridge, I lost every job, lost everything, and I wound up back in my parents' house as kind of a last resort. And they uh-huh. they accepted me in under all these terms and conditions. And anyways, while I was with them, I had a drug overdose and almost died. The I went to a hospital. They oh resuscitated goodness, me, man. brought me back to life. And my parents ended up at the hospital. And I think one of the wake-up calls was when my mom walked in after I had been essentially brought back from the dead yeah. during a, like my body was just shutting down anyways, but I, I lived and I'll never forget the look on my mom's face was like, it wasn't like, I don't love you anymore. It's like, I love you, but like, I don't know that I, I have any hope that you're ever, right. that this is going to get any better. Like for a long time, I felt like she always had this optimism and that had like left. It was like, yeah. I realized the main people in my life that were never supposed to give up on me, like they're starting to kind of oh, like,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: give up on me. And I think that for me was like, oh no. And then and then eventually they kicked me out of their house, and I wound up homeless. And um and that was like, whoa, okay, I'm I'm really deep. You know, this is yeah, this is the real deal. So those are some of the the signs for me of like. When those relationships that meant the most to me, when it started costing, it was like, okay, um, yeah. this, is, this has got to change.
0: Okay. So if you're driving in your car and you're listening to this right now, or if you're watching this on YouTube and you're struggling getting control of an area of your life that you think may be coming an addiction, but you're not sure. I need you to hear what Andrew just said, because at one point, everybody close to him he's hurt them. Some of them have decided, I don't have what it takes to keep you know, supporting you and even losing hope that things are going to change. And then he's on the streets and thinking about killing himself. And that's what an addiction will do. So Andrew, now I know people are asking, okay, so how did you beat this thing? Because If it's that hard to break out of, and if you slip back into it again and again, to the point that you almost OD at your parents' house because of the drugs that you're trying to get free from, how did you finally do it? And really what people are wondering is, why didn't you just end it all? Why didn't you just put a pistol in your mouth? So tell everybody how you finally beat this thing, man.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great question. You know, for me, I, I, I did try multiple times to, in my life. Um, and I, I actually survived even though those times where I tried to do that. Um, and you know, what, what ended up happening like towards the very end is I, I, I ended up like reaching a really low place and I just realized like, okay, you know, things have got to change. And, um, What's interesting is, you know, I didn't want anything to do with my parents and I don't, I actually physically don't really remember this, but my parents have recounted to me what happened. So my parents, they were like church going people. I was Uh not so much, not into that, um, for obvious reasons, but they, (laughs) uh, they were like really struggling, not so much with their faith, but just feeling super discouraged about life in general with me. And, um, and so I'm out in my addiction, I'm strung out, I'm out on the street and I'm not thinking about them. I don't even want to talk to them. And uh, Yeah, because you probably feel terrible
0: there. about yourself just being around them or talking to them, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. And my parents are worried sick. They don't know if I'm dead or alive. Right. And in fact, my parents, their story, their side of the story is they were thinking, why are we even going to church? What, why are we doing anything? Like they were thinking like a despair had entered into their own hearts. Yeah. And so they they felt like we need to go to like we need to go to church today even though we don't want to we're gonna go so they end up going to this church they go into this classroom and it was like for a class or something and um, anyways they go in there and uh, at the end they were like hey is there is there anybody that needs prayer and my parents are like they don't want to say anything because it's embarrassing your kid is yeah. like strung out on drugs you don't want anyone I'm in sorry there to is.
0: laugh but yeah I totally know yeah. where this is going sure
1: yeah so they, but I think it was my mom or dad. They were like, yeah, would you guys just pray for our son? We don't know if he's alive. We don't know where our son is. And some of the people in the room actually knew me. Cause I, you know, had gone to church when I was a kid. Yeah. And, um, anyways, this guy comes over to my dad and he's like, Hey, I know about this program that I've heard has helped a ton of people coming out of addiction that are like in uh-huh. your son's situation. He's like, Here's a card. Talk to this guy when your son gets ready. So they leave the building, they leave the church. And two hours later, randomly, I call them out of the blue. Again, I don't remember this because I was extremely high on drugs, like out of my mind at this point. But I call my dad, apparently, and just like, he's like, why are you calling? And I I don't even know that I had a reason. But I remember, I, I do distinctly remember at some point, whether it was that call or another call, but he was like, hey, like, you know, Andrew, like, if you need help, like, we'll help you. And what was interesting about that is my dad had told me about a year before he was never gonna help me again. And yeah, so this never is like
0: help you again, like, right?
1: Yeah. So it's like, I'll help you if you'll do this this thing that I heard about this morning. And I was like, I'm not ready. Anyways, next day I uh, woke woke up super early in the morning and I was like, I just I just had this thought in my head, I gotta get out of this situation that I'm in. Like it was like my heart was racing. The moment I woke oh, up, my yeah. heart was racing. Yeah. And I just felt like I had to get out. And so I remember calling my dad and I was like, all right, dad, like I'm ready. And I, it was like a sense of urgency. And I don't I don't know where it came from, if it was like God or uh, me, like feeling like something bad was about to happen to me. Um, I was always in very dangerous situations, like even sleeping outside or yeah. people oh, yeah. up at some point threatening to kill me. Like that was kind of pretty frequent in my life at the yeah. time. Yeah, that's, that's life on the streets
0: right like, there, right?
1: yeah, some, something's going to happen to me. I'm gonna call my dad. And so anyways, my dad comes and finds me and, and yeah, they, they ended up getting me into a, like a detox program. And, um, and then, and then the next step was they were going to get me into a long-term program, which at first I wasn't open to, but then I realized like, Hey, like I've ruined my whole life. Like why not give it a chance? And, um, you know, the night before I went into that long-term recovery program, my dad literally slept. We, we say in the hotel, he literally slept in front of the front door because he was so, so scared. So you couldn't get him. out. And I, he, he, he did that rightfully so. Like, I was yeah. not in a good place. And anyways, miraculously, I ended up getting into, like, this recovery program called Teen Challenge. And it's called Teen Challenge because originally they were helping teens. But it, uh-huh. now the program helps, like, adults too. It's like yeah. A, a, yeah. Faith-based recovery program, and I got there, and you know, really, that's where things, you know, really started to dramatically change um, for me. That like that was a turning point. I think, first of all, just being willing to go get help, and and that that's where things started to change.
0: I want to just say something about Teen Challenge real quick. If you have been watching the news over the last several months, there's been a lot of press about Teen Challenge. Most of it's been very negative because there have been some reports that Teen Challenge is doing this to teenagers and adults against their will. But Andrew, no exaggeration, you are about the 100th person that I've heard of that said Teen Challenge turned my life around. And I went there not expecting things to get different. And I'm a very different person today. So I don't know, I know zero people that said it was against my will. There's a lot of bad press about Teen Challenge right now. I just want to say you're like number 100 that said Teen Challenge turned my life around, but you've already described this. You tried this on your own for years. It wasn't working. You were going from bad to worse. So what really changed at Teen Challenge? Why is this the point that
1: things turn around for you? Yeah, I I think to summarize it would really be the word surrender. I think for a long time I wasn't willing um, to really surrender and to admit that I I really needed help and really admit that first of all that I couldn't do it in my own strength like yeah. I couldn't yeah. I couldn't beat this thing and I think like that was the thing I was never willing to just confess is that this thing was actually stronger than my own fortitude like and that and that and I never wanted to just kind of like admit that and so you know what happened is there was a guy that was in the program that had come out of addiction and been in and out of prison mm-hmm. and um so I had I personally stayed in the program for about four weeks and decided I was leaving and I was gonna go get high again and nobody knew it except a couple other guys in the program all right they knew because they were the ones that invited me to go with them so Sunday night yeah. Monday morning they were all planning to leave the program and um, so I've got eight or ten more hours left in this program uh-huh. and um, you know I had decided I wanted to go there and I wanted to change but now I'm regressing and I'm just like it's not worth it it's too hard to change um, but anyways one of the guys came up to me and he just started to you know really speak into my life and and you know just uh, just challenge like some of my pride and things like that and you know, what he started to, you know, just share with me is like, you know, that God wanted me, um, not to keep fighting in my own strength, but really to surrender everything to him and let him work in me and through me. And I think like that for me was just a weird idea that like, actually by surrendering to God and his will for my life, that him, like his working in me, that surrendering to Jesus, that like, I would be able to overcome it if I actually, in a sense, like gave up. And, um, you know, not in a sense of like giving up and going back to drugs, but in a sense, giving up like my will and my, my trying to do it on my own. And so he started to share that with me. And, and honestly, that night, like eight hours before I left and went straight back to drugs, I had a life-changing encounter where I made a decision in my life. I'm going to surrender and I'm not going to just, you know, just like try to be a good person or try to not be addicted to drugs or try to get my life together. Um, or even try to put God into my life, I made yeah. a decision that day. It's like, no, like I'm going to give God, I'm going to surrender to Jesus everything. And that meant like all my plans, all my future, like everything I thought I wanted to do, everything I wanted to hold back from myself. It was like, no, I, I've proven what I can do in my own strength. And I've proven what I like, what I can do. And so yeah. God, I just, I'm going to stop fighting and I want you to start to lead me. And that was the beginning of the true transformation where it's like, I started to win the battle when I really gave up fighting it on my own and let God start to fight it with me and, and, and for me.
0: That is such a clear example of what the word faith, it really means in the Bible. So as yep. you were talking, Andrew, I was thinking, I know countless people that have said jeff i prayed and asked jesus into my life and really what they were doing is exactly what you described a a moment ago i just added jesus to all of the other things in my life thinking life will be a little bit better if i add some jesus in there like i'm sprinkling salt and pepper on a meal but i can but i can take as much or as little of them as i want you just described something very very different i didn't add jesus to my life Jesus basically took over radical control of my life. And the word surrender that you used, there's a very big difference between simply praying a prayer and surrendering. And then you just described how your life radically changed. So let's talk about how much life changed for you. What happens after Jesus, and I'm just going to use this language, Jesus gives you the strength to beat the thing that you can't beat on your own. How does life start to change for you?
1: Yeah, so over the next year, I really started a journey of like, you know, I was in the Teen Challenge program, but I was like, I started working, uh, kind of a job within the program mm-hmm. and I started to grow, um, you know, just in some basic skills that I hadn't learned while I was in my addiction. And then really started to also grow in just my relationship with God. And I had other people that started investing in me and mentoring me. And I think the big thing that started to change in me is people started to, you know, people started to see beyond my past and my mess and started to like call me a fire. Yeah. And they started to see like a potential in me. And I think like, you know, when I was a kid, I remember my dad and all kinds of people, they were like, you have so much potential, you're a leader, you know? And I, I, I kind of lost sight of like who I really was. And I think that first year or two, I started to remember, like, I am a leader, you know, like I do have capacity, like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not all these things that my addiction sort of led me into. Like I, right. I was doing those things, but they don't define me anymore. In that first couple of years, I was, I was starting to learn how to be defined by what God said about me and not about my, my past and my addiction. And that transformed the way that I started living. And I, I decided real quickly in addiction coming out of it, that I, I wanted to be really careful to just like make impulsive changes or moves. And I wanted to be really faithful to just like serve and be humble and like go slow. Like I just knew, like one of my biggest mistakes in the past is I would just try to be impulsive or just like, I don't know. And I realized like the process for me was not a microwave process. There was no microwave (laughs) button. Yeah, push
0: the button and hit start and it's done, right?
1: Yeah, it was not that. It was, you know, it was really two or three years of a process of, you know, like work, working through a lot of things, serving, staying really close in community with other people that were in recovery. I think that like what helped me be successful outside of like what we were talking about with a relationship with God was having community where I was always surrounded with other people that had the same ambition and desire. And that was to like not go back and screw up their lives yeah. and make make foolish decisions. So, you know, that really helped me. Um, and then, uh, after a few years, I started actually working with that program Teen challenge, which I agree with you. It's a great, great program. And, um, you know, I started working with them and I started to give back and I started to help others. And I think when I started, when my life shifted from just being about me and me getting outside of my addiction and started to Uh become about actually helping others too, man, that accelerated the process out of the addiction and really helped me beat that thing because yeah. it ultimately like my biggest problem wasn't the drugs. It was, I was addicted to myself. I was consumed yeah, you were addicted to, to you. Yeah. Like I only cared about me. I was my own idol. I served myself. And I think like, you know, ultimately like as I started to follow Jesus, I realized like what he was basically calling me to do was to lay down my life And for the sake of others, serve them. And what's amazing is I actually started to get freer from my addiction. The more I realized it wasn't even about me, but it was about giving back and serving others. And that has really started me on a journey of like realizing, man, that the way that I stay out of addiction is not just staying away from drugs or bad people. It's like, no, like I, I, when I start living like Jesus. I find more fulfillment in living the way that I believe, the way that God designed me to live. I find more fulfillment than I ever had when I was on drugs or living that way. So um, I think that was a big key for me.
0: There's 8 billion people on the planet. And Andrew, you just described like 5 or 7 billion of them that are literally addicted to themselves. And all they can think about all day long, every day is themselves. It may not be drugs or alcohol or relationships or money, but all they think about is themselves. And what you just described is when it really started to get better a lot faster for you is when you broke the addiction to yourself by laying down your life and allowing Jesus to have control and then just serving him and the people that he put in your life. The first time we met, Andrew, you may not remember this, but... We sat down and talked. You had just left Teen Challenge, and you shared your story with me, and I was blown away by how honest, how real, how vulnerable you were, but also you already had a reputation in town, and that reputation is about a guy who's making a huge difference and doing a lot of good for people. I would have never imagined you could have been a dude on the street who was addicted and ready to kill themselves. I would have never imagined you had that past, except for you were very honest and very willing to share it as, here's who I used to be, and I'm very different now. In fact, in our community, your name has a great deal of respect. So can you kind of describe the what God has kind of laid on your heart tell everybody about take the city what take the city is what it stands for and the movement that it's
1: become yeah i think one of the things that really started to happen about probably 10 years ago is i started to realize how much destruction chaos decay and pain was happening in our city here in columbus um specifically due to so much addiction, so much dysfunction, um, so many families like it. And I think like, you know, I realized like we need to do something about it. And so we started doing these outreaches where we would go out and really uh, like go into the community and try to reach out to people that were, were dealing with these painful issues and to bring them hope and to um, encourage them that, that God has a, a better way and, and better choices yeah. for them. And so we started an outreach program here in, in Columbus and we call it Take the City because in a sense, from our perspective, there's so many people that were bound by addiction and darkness that had uh-huh. in a sense taken large portions of our city that we wanted to take it back, uh, not for ourselves, but ultimately that God's love and his light and his redemption could transform and, and, and prosper those families and those people in our city. So we started doing that. And over, you know, the past 10 years, we actually, I never intended to start an organization. We were just going and like loving on our city, feeding people, helping people get off drugs, helping homeless people find places to live, um, visiting people that had been incarcerated or whatever. Right. So we're doing all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, yeah, when, when we met, I, I actually felt like I was supposed to quit my full-time job and start an organization, which was kind of terrifying at like
0: you I know, bet 25 it
1: was. years old, yeah. like leave your salary, leave your benefits, um, and go, go try to start something. And it's like, oh, you know, and, and I know you personally can, can, uh, relate to yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, Oh, this is scary. And, and uh, but we started that. What's amazing is it's it's just prospered and grown in some incredible ways. Um, you know, just like, so uh, now we have a, a property that we've been given that's here in our city in a very high uh-huh. need area. And we opened a coffee shop here that is like a, a, a place where we can connect and build relationships with people. One that are just love coffee and others that are just people in need. And yeah. um, just, just yesterday I was with a girl. And she'd been coming here to our, uh, our coffee shop and our ministry center for, she came for two years. Um, she came initially to a food drive and then she started coming around. We, we saw her all the time. She was addicted to crack cocaine. Uh She was living on the street. Um, she almost never took showers like she, but she would just come and we would pray for her. We would minister to her. Anyways, I was just with her yesterday and, um, one day she came up here and she was like ready. It took two years, but she was ready yeah. and she's, wow. like, I wanna go. And so uh, one of our staff members ended up you know, helping her and she ended up getting into another ministry that's here locally called Damascus Way. Got in her enough yeah. program, she just graduated mm-hmm. and uh, she's got her family restored. She's in her right mind. She's not strong out on awesome. drugs. She's smiling. She looks healthy. She's like clean. She's, you know, it's just like, and, oh, and, yeah, and so, man. like that's what we're really all about. It's like we're seeing lie essentially what happened to me is happening to others, and I think that's yeah. the exciting thing for me is like it's multiplying the hope, the healing. You know, God's God's moving, and so that's that's what we're doing. And it honestly, if I were to tell you all the stories of like how things have grown here, I would have to be honest with you, it has nothing to do with my ingenuity or skill, like it's just been miraculous what's happened and what we've experienced. And so we're just kind of on a ride, me and Ellen, you know, we're on a ride and just we're enjoying it and trying to do the best we can.
0: Well, Andrew, as, as I'm listening, thinking back to earlier in, in this episode, man, it's Thanksgiving. You got a lot of things to be thankful for. God has surrounded you with a beautiful wife and children and a growing family You've got a reputation in our community that is very, very uh, strong and many people respect who you, I'm one of those, and respect what you're doing. But it all came about uh, after some really hard, really hard, really dark days. I just said the word hark, but what I mean is hard and dark at the same time. Hard, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, some dark, hard days. And I can't help but think somebody's listening to this episode right now and life is really bad and they're thinking... It can't possibly turn around. It's just that bad for me. And I'd really like to wrap this up today by just giving you the chance to talk to that person and and remind them that the, the same God who stepped in and rescued you out of your hard, dark days can do that for them too. And kind of wrap this Thanksgiving episode up by giving them some hope. About the same God that rescued you. So can you just go ahead and talk honestly to a person who's really struggling right now and thinks it's never going to get any better? I'm stuck.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I I'd like to speak specifically to two different people. One, I, I want to speak to those that are in it themselves. And then I also feel like there's there's people too where it's your loved one. You're yeah, you're the one the families, watching. Please so, do. Yeah, but first I I just want to speak to those that are struggling, you know, and I I just want to tell you um, that the reality is that that God, He is after your heart, and He's after bringing Mm -hmm. restoration and healing, and He can do a miracle in your life, and He's not looking for you to get your life together before you come to Him, and that's what a lot of people are so confused about. When they think of God, they think of church or religion. They think of okay, I got to get my life together. I got to I got to do things right, and then you know, God will accept me and whatever, life will get better. But the reality of the gospel and what makes Jesus so different than every other religion on the face of the planet is this, is that God came down to us when we couldn't do it. Yeah. When we couldn't make our lives better when we were all struggling. And Jesus, he wants you to know that he's not waiting for you to get out of your mess or for you to, you know, just like fix it. He's actually just waiting for you to realize and confess you can't do it. And to come to Him, and so I just encourage you just to begin with that place of of absolute surrender. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, in 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 war in war terms, there's uh you know there's conditional surrenders in war, and there's absolute surrender. Those are two different ways that battles or wars can end. And I think uh, the encouragement that I have for you is not to come to God with a conditional surrender. In other right. words, you can have part of my life. You can do this or that. Uh, but I would come to him today with an absolute surrender with a white flag and just say all right, you know God I give you permission and uh, and then for those of you that are that are uh, probably many more of you that are actually dealing with loved ones yeah. or, or family members or friends, I just want to tell you that um, your love and your persistence and your prayers and your reaching out to to those that are struggling um, don't ever give up don't ever give up on them and And I know that, um, it's so hard when you see a loved one struggling and I I just want to tell you that there's no perfect way to navigate these situations. My parents, they didn't do it right. In fact, if you want to read the story, you can read my mom's book. It's called no one visits the mother of a drug addict. It's on, it's on Amazon. You can buy her book All right, and, uh, it's, you know, um, they didn't do it perfectly. But they they just kept loving me. And so I just want to encourage you to just just do the best you can. And if if any of you are dealing with family members or loved ones that are struggling and you're dealing with guilt because you feel like you should have done things differently or you should have done more, I just want to tell you that, you know, that that you know you can only do what you can. And ultimately I would encourage you to to release those people to God and say, God, like if you don't do it, I don't, you know, I can't do it. And so yeah. that might be helpful for some of you that are trying to fix it for other people. And um, my parents had to realize that they couldn't fix it. My family, the rest of them realized they couldn't fix it for me. So that's what I would share with those that are dealing with it right now.
0: i tell you what, my heart is so heavy for the families and the loved ones of somebody who's struggling with an addiction that we're gonna do this. We're gonna give away a copy of your mother's book To somebody who's listening to this episode so just hang on to the end I'll tell you how you can get a free copy of Andrew's mother's book just so that you may be able to um, get some encouragement not to give up to not um, lose hope but Andrew thank you for being like the first time I met you in this conversation once again being so real so honest with people if they want to know more about you, or let's say they live in our community and they want to get connected with Take the City, how can people learn about you? How can they learn about Take the City?
1: Yeah. So, you know, um, you can follow me on, you know, Facebook or Instagram, me and, you know, Andrew, Ellen Chalmers, like either of us, and you can follow what we're doing. Um, we also uh, do have uh, email updates. So one of the things that's kind of sensitive, but my family and I have actually been doing work in like overseas over the past couple of years. And so we're, we're even doing like email updates just for people that kind of want to hear about what's happening right. in the middle. And, um, and so if, if you guys want to get involved with that, you can just follow us on on social media and get more information. And then our website's great. Take the city.com is a great resource uh, to just find out more about our programs, our coffee shop, um yeah so those are some great areas to to get plugged in or find out more
0: yeah well andrew i'm gonna wrap things up real quickly because i want to respect your time with your family on this thanksgiving day but i just want to tell you thank you man i am very thankful that you would be willing to come on this episode be this open with everybody and i really hope that people have heard what you had to say and they're thinking if god can do this for andrew then maybe he can do it for me too so, I'm going to put Andrew's challenge in front of you unconditional surrender. Those are the terms you come to Jesus with. And if you come on those terms, I believe he can turn your life around. Thanks, Andrew.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. It's great to be with you.
0: I'm convinced that you were sitting there as spellbound as I was when Andrew tells the story of living on the streets ready to kill himself in and out of rehab in fact in a rehab program and purposely intentionally ready to go back to drugs when finally he unconditionally surrendered and his life took a radical turn in a new direction as he was talking about his family and his loved ones that just watched his life descend in chaos i couldn't help but think about the families out there that are listening who have a son or a daughter who's addicted to drugs, who have a son or daughter that's living on the streets, who have a family member or a friend whose life is going down the drain, and they would do anything to turn it around, but they can't. So maybe to encourage you, we're going to give away a free book. His mother, Nancy Chalmers, wrote the book, No One Visits the Mother of a Drug Addict. And we're going to give away a free Kindle copy of that book. All you got to do to get a Kindle copy of that book is simply go to unbeatablearmy.com, fill out the information, and somebody on that list of the Unbeatable Army will get a free Kindle version of his mother, Nancy's book. Look, I hope that you've been encouraged on this Thanksgiving episode of Unbeatable. And if you heard this story and you were blown away by it, we have lots of other stories like this to come. So why don't you go ahead and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform? And if this podcast isn't on your favorite platform, why don't you let me know so that we can get this podcast on your favorite platform? And if you wanna communicate with us, We'd love to hear from you. The best way to do that is just send us a message on social media. You can find us pretty much anywhere. Just go to at Unbeatable Podcast. Find us on social media. Follow us and send us your thoughts on this or other episodes. Listen, if you're in the US, thank you for tuning in. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and I'll see you right back here next week. God bless.